This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your smartphone, tablet, or desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. This is Manny Cotto, executive producer of Star Trek Enterprise. You're listening to Warp 5 on Trek FM. How we doing, Trip? Ready when you are. Prepare for warp. Course laid in, sir. Request permission to get underway. Let's go. Welcome, Boomers, to another episode of Warp 5, Trek FM's dedicated Enterprise show. I'm your host, Floyd Dorsey, and I'm joined in the new command center by my regular guest, Melodic Trek's host, Brandon Shea Matala. How's it going, Brandon? Uh, I'm, I'm exhausted, man. Like, I just can't get any sleep. So I was just down with Phlox, and he said you could, like, feel me up a little bit, and you'd help me sleep. So uh, I got this uh, lube here. Can I just pour it on my back here, and you can uh, help yeah, me sleep, buddy? I don't. I'm not sure that was me that he was talking about. I, I heard T'Pol though. There's like a line outside of T'Pol's quarters, and she's yeah, got it's the, too she, long a line. You're my second choice. Oh, well, I I don't know. I don't I don't know. But you know, we can see. You know, <laughs> like I heard Flock said that like he could walk on your back, but his toenails you kind of got to get used to them. You know, but what I don't know. That's I don't know. I don't know. We're we're gonna have to be a lot better friends for that, I guess. You know, we don't want oh. we don't want Reed talking about talking about us or anything. Well, if we were to pursue an intimate relationship, it would be none of Reed's business, would it? True, true. All right. Well, and joining uh, Brandon and I here in this fancy new room that Starfleet went through a lot of trouble to build is Babel Conference regular, Warp Five fan, and associate producer of Metatrex, Patrick Devlin. Welcome aboard, Patrick. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I don't know if that was the wisest move anymore, but thank you. <laughs> we're glad to have you in the command center. We're going to play some Xbox on the uh, on all these crazy TVs we have. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sounds awesome. No kidding, man. We got uh, that's that would be awesome. That's where they need to have movie night, you know, in the command center. I don't know if Archer would appreciate that very much because he likes to sit and you know scowl with the lights kind of down, but that's where they need to have movie night. <sighs> all right, so uh, Patrick. Give us uh, a little bit of background on your Star Trek fandom. Like, when did you get into Star Trek? All right. So when I was younger, my, my father uh, was a big fan of the original series. And um, I was born in 82. So, you know, I, I jumped into the uh, Next Generation, started watching that. was watching uh, TOS with, with my dad. My uh, my grandmother on my mom's side was also a big TOS fan, Enterprise, um, Next Generation fan. Um, then I kind of fell out a little bit during the Deep Space Nine and, and, uh, Voyager runs. I got back in midway through Voyager 
And uh, when Enterprise came out, I just watched. Like, I couldn't get enough. I, I loved. Uh, I loved who played Archer. I, I loved the, the ship design. I loved the idea of it being earlier instead of later on, um, and all the new. Uh, how everything was going to be new to them, all new technologies and everything else. So, uh, and that's how I, uh, I just, and I continued with that to this day now. Very good. Did you, uh, well, this is something that I always ask people about enterprise. Did you watch it during first run or did you end up catching it on Netflix or just, or later? So I didn't watch the first few episodes when it came out. Um, but my grandmother was DVRing it. So I ended up going back like halfway through the first season, catching up and then watching first run. Very good, very good. And then they we found out later that they didn't know how to do ratings because people were people were DVRing it. It was like the most DVR'd show ever or something at the time. So yeah, it, it screwed up all their counts, which I think lends to one of the reasons why it was a shorter series. But right, yep, yeah. There's we that's a whole other show. We could talk about all of the reasons, <laughs> and it really doesn't have that much to do with ratings. But a lot of people like to say that. So, um, boomers we're for this episode of warp five, we're going to be continuing our retrospective series that we started many, many months ago and moons ago and solar systems ago. And we're going to be entering the Delphic expanse at the beginning of season three. So for this section of the retrospective, given season three's continuing art format, uh, we're going to be going pretty much in order. We will be going in order on this one rather than jumping around like we have in the past. And but not to worry though, we won't be recording four, you know, five res- retrospective episodes in a row. Uh, it's we're just going to be spreading them out, just like we did season two, but maybe even more than that. Um, but we kind of want to keep these kind of compact because these are their own arcs, and this is just it's its own huge arc. So, getting at the end of season two, we had the expanse, and that was kind of actually the beginning of the season three arc even though it ended season two and we talked about that during the uh, season two retrospective the last one that we did so remember we have the attack by zindi uh the huge canyon scene and we had trip basically telling archer uh or asking him are we gonna are we gonna do what we need to do you know are we gonna be messing around like with that non-interference stuff are we gonna be doing what we gotta do and archer looks him straight in the eye and says, we're going to do what we have to do. So Patrick, what did you think about the expanse ending season two, since you weren't here for the last uh, retrospective episode? Well, I I have to say that this was one of my, uh, my favorite starts of the arcs. Uh, Season three is one of my favorite seasons of of all Star Trek, because I like how it gets darker. Um, I like seeing them being willing to do things that maybe necessarily they shouldn't be doing or like you said he said are we going to do what we're going to do are we going to worry about all the non-interference stuff that Paul keeps talking about um and the fact that this is the start of where they really decide that they're going to do what they have to do um it, it just seemed a lot different to me it, similar to um when Deep Space Nine when when Cisco leaves the the uh Deep Space Nine and leaves the baseball behind as as like a slap in the face. But this was even worse because this was an attack directly on their own planet. Um also a, a little bit of a side note, I'm from New York so I actually watched the nine eleven attacks and this had all the makings of their commentary on those attacks and what our country and other countries were like following those attacks. They weren't really being too uh they weren't really trying to hide it you know, the writers when it came to this, you know, I mean, this show actually launched right after nine 11 and they weren't really even, they weren't trying to hide it, you know, for season three, it was like, this is, this is a terrorist attack basically in the star 
Trek universe. And that's what this is about. And I, I know season three sort of, uh, it, some people really, really, really like it. And then some people don't because like you said, it became dark, it became more real. Um, but I, I like the shift in it. I gotta be honest. When I first saw it, I thought it was, it was very different than anything that I'd seen any kind of star Trek that I'd seen. I like you said, it, they attacked earth and my mouth dropped open. I couldn't believe it. And then when, you know, the, the end of that episode shows them going into the cloud, you know, deeper and they're just fly away. Like I couldn't wait to see this. And I actually saw it on Netflix. I, I couldn't catch all the episodes when it was on first run. So I had to watch it on Netflix so I immediately watched the next episode and then I immediately watched the next episode and I immediately watched the next episode because it really took a really strong turn. So Brandon, what do you think about season three now that we're kicking off this retrospective? Uh, I think it's an interesting concept that they've done for the show to try and generate this season long arc. Like we had a lot of continuing stories in the later episodes of Deep Space Nine, but nothing quite like this. The longest we ever got really was the last 10 episodes of Deep Space Nine. So there, there's quite a few, I think, missteps in the 24 episodes of season three where it doesn't quite always work. But I, I give them a lot of credit for what they tried to do. And I, I, I don't think it detracts too much because, again, it was the first time they tried to do something like this. Yep, I agree. And you have the standalone episodes because they're trying to fill what a 22-24 season like like fill sheet here, like a show show sheet and it was there are some fillers, there's some standalones. We're going to mention one, you know, not very much maybe today. I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, it was you had the Zindi arc and then you had these others that just kind of filled in there and they just did their thing and then sometimes they had something to do with the Zindi arc and sometimes they just kind of mentioned it at the end or sometimes a little bit, but yeah. Can you imagine those season three as a 15 episode or a 13 episode, you know, or a 10 episode, like what we have now and like really designed for streaming, which season three is amazing when you binge watch and you stream it to me, I think it is. So, um, I think it would have been amazing. I mean, and that's what I'm looking forward to most about Star Trek Discovery coming out is a concise season and just how uh, how tight the storytelling has to be when you've limited when you've got a limited number of episodes. Yep. And this is again, this is such a shift. Like season 3 was a huge shift for Star Trek because now you've got an over an arc for a whole season and it goes dark and I mean, we're going into places that we've never been before. We've never had this kind of a, a threat before, it seemed like, ever. In, I mean, we got attacked by the Borg a few times, but we always, I don't know, it just, it this seemed very vulnerable. Like, the ships already seems vulnerable. But I, this just seemed, this just seems different to me. This This is just a different feel. And I can see why some people, some people say, well, I don't really like season three. I like season one and two, or I really like season four. But then there's people that really like season three. I like them as three separate things myself. So Patrick, I'm glad that you, you know, this is, you like this. I really do. Cause a lot of people give a lot of love to season four and season four is good, but season three is just a different, a different shift or a different pace. I think. Yeah. Like you said, it's almost like it's a separate entity in and of itself. 
and 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 for me it was it was one of my favorites of all time um because of all the reasons you mentioned you know where everything about it is different plus it's at a time when television itself is changing where we're ending up now where we have these 13 uh, episode shows and everything is followed one right after the other um but before that no one had done any of this kind of storytelling in TV and and that's why you end up like you said with those those few filler episodes here or there which Eh, you just kind of look past them and call them what they are. Right. All right. So for our discussion, we are going to be talking about the Zindi, Anomaly, Extinction, and Regine. So just the first four episodes of season three, for those of you following along at home. So kicking us off with the Zindi, uh, Patrick, what uh, what did you think about this first episode of season three? I found this episode to be a perfect match to the final episode of season two. They find out, they get a tip from someone that there may be a Zindi somewhere on, you know, in a mining uh, planet. And they're going to go find out where he is, who he is, what he is, what he knows, where they can find the home world. And they're not really worrying too much about what it's going to take to do that. Um, They don't worry about security. They're just, they're... They're going to find this guy, and they're going to get the information from him. They're going to use that information to go find whatever they can out about the Zindi to either stop this by diplomatic means or more aggressive means. Um, like one of the things I noticed first watching, because you pick up a lot of things after you watch it a few times, but the very first watching I found the the uh, foreman for the mining facility, his ex- explanation for a missing finger is, is so weak. <laughs> and Archer and... Um, uh, trip just kind of look at each other like, eh, it's fine. I don't really care about this guy anyway, so what do I care? So he lost the finger. Awesome. Um, you know, and then they find him, but they don't realize that they've been set up. That this guy's going to be coming and taking them because they were so blinded by the fact that they needed this information. They never thought that someone might be working them in, in, in the process. Um, there was a few other things, but that was the main focus of that episode for me, is that, that they were they were so bent on getting this information that they didn't care about anything else. And they wa- they just kept walking down and down and down into this place, and they're farther and farther down in the belly of this place. I don't know. I gosh, I mean, yeah, they were they were extremely focused to get this information, but man, they walked all the way down into this place and got the door closed behind them. And the guy was just like, oh, "I gotta go. See ya." <laughs> yeah. Now, that guy was amazing. So I don't know if you guys recognize him or not, but so the actor that played him is Stephen McHattie, and that's the guy that played Vreenak, the Romulan, in uh, in The Pale Moonlight. The guy who's like, it's a fake. That's him. Now, I love this guy. He's a Canadian actor, and uh, he's been in tons of stuff. Like, he's been in lots of genre television, the X-Files. Like, he's been in just about everything. But I, everybody, go to YouTube and watch the trailer for Pontypool. You guys need to see this movie. This movie is absolutely fantastic. It's it's a zombie movie, but it's not a zombie movie. It kind of takes the zombie genre and flips it on its head. But he's in it. And the really cool thing about this is it was originally done as a radio drama. So you would just listen to it on the radio, right? And he's in it. It's a radio DJ. And he's just communicating with the outside world and hearing about the zombie plague through audio only. So they translated this into a film and basically the entirety of this movie takes place in a radio station inside of one room, basically, you know, there's a few scenes that are outside of it and whatnot, but it's an absolutely fantastic movie and he's in it and he's outstanding in it. And I just love Stephen McHattie and I can't, I can't 
champion him enough. Wow. So <laughs> Pontypool, how do you spell Pontypool. that? P-O-N-T-Y-P-O-O-L. Okay, that's what I wrote down. Okay. Yeah. All right, let's you got to watch the trailer for it. If you watch the trailer, you will want to see the movie. Trust me. It's not too gory. It's really not. So, like, it, it takes the zombie genre and flips it on its head. So, it, it's it's not really gory. All right. So, Interesting. So, Brandon, uh, what, do you, what do you think about the Zindi and the investigation and how it starts? We've got a lot in this episode. There's a lot of things happening, and there's a lot that they introduce us to, right? I mean, we, we get this opening scene that's in the Zindi uh, conference room that they've got. So we're introduced right off the bat. We don't really know what's going on, but we find out that this race is five completely different types of species that have evolved on the same planet. And I think that is one of the coolest concepts that Star Trek has come up with. You know, and so I like seeing that, you know, there's this, we, we find out in later episodes of the season that there's actually a sixth race of avians that's extinct. But I think that's completely fascinating, you know, to have different life forms on the same planet. They've all got their own unique points of view, which is going to introduce different challenges throughout the season. Uh, we've got this, you know, this awesome command center that's been invented for this, uh, this season-long arc. We've got the Makos that have been added, you know. So there's so many nuggets that have been dropped in here to take us throughout the season. And I agree. I think this is a really good follow-up to The Expanse and a really good introduction to the new format of season three. Yep, I totally agree. I mean, you're you're what you just said almost follow my notes right down the line here. Well, I read your notes and stole them. Oh, okay. Well, I need to I need to put my hand over my my sheet here. I didn't realize you were cheating on the camera here. <laughs> so yeah, the we have the command center, and we know this is where business is going to get taken place. You know, I mean, this is we're gonna we're gonna get this done. This is going to be our our CSI lab or whatever it is for this. And I really enjoyed this episode because it showed, like, it looked like the Wild West. This made me think, I mean, this is really the frontier. We're on the frontier. We're out here by ourselves. Um, the criminal elements, you know, the, the less than reputable, what was it, barge captain or what, whatever they called him, a freighter captain that, that Reed wasn't too high on us taking the, he, he didn't like that we got information from him. Well, Archer's like, we got we to gotta work with who we got to work with. And that's who's out here. Questionable character. Yeah. And uh, the criminal elements, though, of this, you know, you got into that uh, station. And like, you, like Patrick said, they walked in there and it didn't really phase them that much because they, they didn't really care. Like Archer didn't care who he's doing business with here as long as he gets business done. And yeah, this episode really, it really kicked up there. Another thing that some, a lot, something that some people um, don't really think of on this are the anomalies and like the introduction of anomalies, you know, like the, the boxes all flying back and forth, the mystery, you know, like what in the world's going on here? There was so much on this episode. So what do you think on that, Patrick? Well, like like the um, the scene where they first introduced the command center is great because that's just another point where they, you know, like you said, he uh, he doesn't want to deal with this freighter captain because he's quite you know questionable, less than questionable character or however they worded that exactly. And Archer's just like, I really don't care. We spent a lot of money on this, and I'm gonna blow something up. Like that's just the end of the story. <laughs> you know, that's why they sent us here, and that's what we're gonna do. And if I got to deal with someone who's kind of shady, I'll figure it out from as as time goes on. Um, you're right, though. I don't really think of the anomalies in that episode, although that's one of the cooler ones where the stuff's just flying around. 
Hey, hey, audience, audience, if you didn't notice, look at our new set. Malcolm, what did this used to be? What do you mean? This room here that we're now in now, the new room. What was it? Now look at it now. Right. It was a little bit, <laughs> yeah. it was a little obvious, you know, that we were being introduced yeah. to a new room. Yeah. Like, what did this used to be? A storage closet? My my <laughs> My quarters? so where do you sleep now malcolm because we're in your quarters now you know yeah that's it we're gonna blow something up from it i'm telling you that's what's gonna happen we need to find somebody so yeah uh brandon you mentioned the makos the makos are awesome you know that is a great that was a great addition you're bringing in the military element which to me starfleet is military-ish they're kind of yeah I can't remember what we said that they were, but it's kind of, it was like a naval term where you, they have the one, the guns kind of Coast Guardy maybe or something like that, kind of like the Coast Guard. But yeah, now you're bringing in straight military, like West Point boys here. And yeah, when they go in for the uh, to save or to rescue, which they they what did they they halfway were already rescued themselves. Uh, what did what did y'all what did you think, Patrick, when you saw the Makos kicking in the doors and flying in on the zip lines and stuff? No, the, the Makos are great, and even even not even that scene. I like their scene. Am I remembering the wrong episode? Where they're sitting with um, with Hoshi? Hoshi. What's the name? Of the, yeah, that's the yes. Scene. Okay, even that scene is great because they're they're chit chatting, and they she picks out where the guy's from, and he's like, "I hope we get there soon because I want to get to business already." You know, and that's and then like you said, they the whole saving and zip lines and you know like real uh, army ranger ish kind of moves going on. But uh, but you can tell these guys they just they they live to be soldiers. They're looking for a fight. They want to win the fight, and their fight's the right fight. Yeah, in another episode, we actually talked about the Makos. We have a few times, and we were trying to figure out where did they get their training, or where did they get their experience, or why do they even exist? So that could have been a nice, you know, like a we talked about. Um, I think it was on the Major Hayes episode, maybe in the in the late 80s i wish i would have written down what episode number it was but uh we talked about maybe if we had a flashback or some kind of an episode or some something to where we could have seen you know the makos in action or why the makos even had to exist at this time so what do you think about the makos brandon my head canon for this so whenever i think about the makos i think for the future and i think that when starfleet came into being that the makos got rolled into into starfleet right into uh the crew and they became like the security people like the red shirts and stuff so like we we did have malcolm reed as the kind of the tactical and security chief already but i never got the impression that he had much staff so to me these guys ended up being the red shirts that we would see in like the original series i don't know that's just a something that i always came to in my head um, I think it was an interesting addition. Um, I think it, it helped to express the threat that they were about to face by trying to get these specific tactical people involved. I got to tell you, I would I would have preferred, you know, I mean, this is some super retconning from all the way back in the original series, but the security needs to be in gray or black or camouflage or something, not red, right? But yeah, the what the Makos are wearing here is kind of a it's kind of a futuristic camouflage. It's got the blue background, but it's got the really cool uh some kind of like digital camouflage or you know, it's it it 
it looks cool. It breaks up their outline basically when you look at it. So yeah, that was, I definitely agree. I think the Makos ended up being security, Starfleet security. Definitely. So the end of this episode gave us a little bit of a twist because uh, spoilers for the end of the episode. If you haven't watched the end of this episode, you want to pause this and go watch the end of the episode. You can come back. But the dying breath of the Zindi that they find at the mining colony gives them a coordinates and they fly to the coordinates and there is rubble. It looks like the Death Star has been there, you know, and we're crossing streams with Star Wars. So, Patrick, we we talked a little bit before this show, and you and I were both kind of on the same page on this. It was like, why did he give them the coordinates to a place that had been blown up for over 100 years? Isn't that what you were thinking? Yeah, it drives me crazy. Like, he has to know it's gone, right? Or does he or doesn't he? Or does he not care? Or is he just sending him on a wild goose chase? Like, I, I went back and watched this episode like six times. I'm like, I had to miss something. No, I still don't get it. I had to miss something. No, I still don't get it. And I, I just, I, I, it's, it's baffling. So, Brandon, you've got something for our headcanon on this. So, what, what do you have? So, I, in my head, I always determine, I have no reason why I've come across this for my theory, but I've always determined that these Zindi were like widespread across the Delphic expanse. And this guy didn't know that the planet had been exploded. And I think that he had either, either they are a lot longer lived than we thought, right? And he maybe left the planet when it was, uh, when it was unexploded or he just hadn't, like his family had moved away from the planet, like his grandparents or whatever. So that was just kind of my theory in my head. It's nothing major, right? It's no crazy conspiracy theory. I just figure that he didn't know and he was trying to help at the end because he did get them out, right? Right. Okay, that makes sense. So he's like a colony baby, you know, maybe he's a boomer, yeah. a Zindi boomer or something. I realize it's very weak, but I mean, that's just, I don't know, that's just always the motivation that I applied to the character myself. Yeah, every time I watch it, I come to the end of that and I'm like, why did he give them something that had been destroyed for a hundred years? You know, and I, I never quite really got why. I mean, I think he truly wanted to send them there, but... I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think he was trying to trick them, you know, or something there. Were, I, I don't know. I don't know that, that it, it just me, it just became more of a mystery in that we might just be looking into it too much, you know, because it was just, it just added on to the mystery. We've got all these anomaly things going on. Um, it's like a, like a, a horror house around here and it just, okay, let's just go deeper then they're not here. So let's just go deeper. Yeah, it just seemed to. I guess it was a, a a way to just get them to fly deeper, but but it, it it just seemed weird that he would use his dying breath to lie. Right, right. Like that's I, it's like the ultimate middle finger, I guess. I, I really don't know, but I can think of better things to do with my last breath than to tell you where not to go. Okay, so Zindi are extremely literal. All right, this is something that we need to learn about here. The Zindi are extremely literal. So when we ask about their home planet, this guy told us exactly where their home planet was. The original planet is at these locations. Now, we didn't get into the details of does it still exist or not. You know, he's just extremely literal. This is very alien to us. He doesn't lie. He tells the truth every single time. We ask where the planet was. He said it. 
that's it. There you go. You get what you pay for, right? Okay. Yes. There we go. So that's just a mystery. Another mystery of the Delphic Expanse. You know, why would a guy with a dying breath tell us where it's at? So listeners, if you have an idea or maybe you figured this out already, um, let us know in the Babel Conference or anywhere this show is posted. I'd surely like to know. And maybe we can uh, talk about your comment on a future episode because that would be great. Now, before we move on to Anomaly, I think there's one other thing that we got to talk about here in the episode of Zindi. we got to talk about the introduction of the Vulcan porno pressure. I mean, uh, Vulcan neural pressure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, it was it was a less than veiled way of creating some drama, some <laughs> some tension or getting rid of some tension, I guess, between a couple of characters here. So, uh, Brandon, what what did you think about it? Hot. <laughs> and there you have it. One word. Man a minute man a few words. Very good. So I don't know if you guys have heard me around the network. I'm sure you have. I don't ship nobody on these shows, okay? You know, I grew up I was I was a loser. Nobody liked me. I wasn't cool in school. The girls didn't like me. I didn't ship anybody. I wanted everybody to be as miserable as I was. Okay. The only relationship I ever shipped was Trip and Paul. So, very good. Because I was older, I don't know. Maybe whatever. Right. So. That is true. I never, I never thought of it either myself. Like we've talked about that before. I had no idea what they were talking about when people were saying that. But yeah, Trip, Trip and the Paul was the first ones that I actually just thought about. I guess because it was so obvious that was part of the story. You know, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I didn't. I never looked at it like that. But yeah. So let's go ahead and move on to to anomaly. Patrick, what did you think about the Vulcan porn? I mean, neural pressure. <laughs> I, whatever. I mean, good for him. He's out there all alone and stuff, and he can't sleep. So, what better to do? Right. I'm trying to save some content for Trek After Dark. Okay, we've we, we've got. <laughs> you can't go for long walks on the beach out yeah. there. I'm try- you, you all keep trying to come back to this. I'm trying to save this. This is like a whole other show. Like a whole other show. <laughs> Okay, we can't we can't have it all on warp five. All right. So, yeah, it was it was kind of it was not as blatant as the um, decon chamber from Broken Bow. I mean, that was very blatant. But we did kind of come back to that, you know, with this. I mean, we got in. uh, It was. T'Pol took her shirt off right away. And when I was watching this the other day on a rewatch, I was like, this is, she doesn't take her shirt off like right away. Does she on the very first one? Oh, yep. There she goes. She took her on an unrelated topic. I love (laughs) Blu-ray. Okay. High definition. Okay. So on to the next episode, we'll, we'll have another chance to talk about that again. I guess we will. If, We'll just have a whole episode over broken neural pressure techniques. You know, maybe that, that would have to be a patron zone. That would be a patron zone Trek After Dark exclusive. So anybody that's not in the patron zone yet, there you go. You're gonna have to get ready for that. So anomaly. Um, what? Looking at, we got farther in. This is the one. This is where the opening up scene. It shows Archer's coffee cup fly up in the air and stop. So that was a mate. That was an awesome effect to me with the, the coffee like slowly looking like it was still falling, but it was just stopped. You could barely see it. And, um, we run into the ship aground kind of, kind of thing going on on this episode. So 
Patrick, what did you think about Anomaly? Um, th- this is a great episode because it shows. I like how it brings in another crew that has been lost in this expanse, and how um, when they first talk about them, they they say, you know, these these are not. There's no piracy in their in their culture. There's no. We don't understand this, and you find out that left with none of their norms in life and left to fend for themselves with no allies, you could turn into a very bad person very quickly. What I like about it the best is because um, they don't really know about the Trillium D yet or anything, that these anomalies are happening throughout the ship, but the, the, the guy shows you on his face that it can also happen to the crew. So as they're getting worse and piracy, pirating more, they're actually getting physically uglier to, to show that, that change in their, their behavior. Yep. Yeah, and the that was that was a pretty strong thing, and I I kind of suspected that could be it. Uh, there was an episode of Voyager that I think it was Twisted, where I am I just making that show title up? I'm bad. Nope, I'm, that's right. Oh, that's right. Where the ship the ship just gets changed. You know, it it basically gets twisted. You know, it's it it gets they run into anomalies similar to this, and it just messes the ship completely up, and that. I don't know. I, I thought of that right away. It made sense. Um, but yeah, that they're stuck in this kind of a void here and they're having to do what they have to do. And the, I thought it was funny that they talked about a ship running a ship aground, you know, in a space show or in, in space terms, why would they talk about a ground, you know, like using a naval term, but I guess that's what it is. But because science, right. Yeah, and then, but you know, that uh, this actually reminded me of the Voyager first-person shooter video game. It's called Elite Force. Did either of you play that? No. Yeah, I did. It was a good. Okay, game. so um, it was on a computer. It was like uh, late '90s, early 2000s, maybe, and you played basically. It was like a Mako for, but it was on uh, Voyager, and they decided like. Tuvok, they 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 were running into some bad characters. So Tuvok trained up, uh, like basically it was elite force. It was like a special forces uh, security team, and that's who you play. And the story, basically the story of the game, to spoil the game for everybody, I guess, is that you get pulled into this void and you're stuck. And then that's what people, that's what all the people do or the aliens do in this void is basically raid each other. It's just kind of like this. Some some are stronger than others. Some are more immoral than others. And this is, that's what you do. And you're not, you're not just fighting like you're not just fighting like other governments. You're fighting people that are raiding you. And then you, it's, it's basically, it was just like this. I mean, well, I wonder, that sounds an awful like, like the episode, the void, right? Maybe that's when it takes place is in that, uh, cause there's a, there's a Voyager episode called the void right. where they get sucked into a void space and people are raiding them and right. stuff. Right. So. And, and there was something about it to where there, I don't think there were stars and yeah. there was, it was, it, yeah, I think, I think Brandon's right. I think it was supposed to take place during the void okay. Okay. or in the void, you know, right. okay. Spoiler. They get out and get back to earth. Oh, <laughs> You just spoiled Voyager. You saw the whole series of the Voyager. The entire thing. The whole thing. Okay. Although Shucks, anyone I'm anyone so who bad. watched any Next Generation movies would know that. So. Right. So, uh, Brandon, what uh, what did you think about Archer's turn in this? You know, because Ar- so, Archer went a little dark here. 
what every time I watch this episode now, I think, man, you know, he wasn't involved at this time, but Manny Cotto went on to work on 24, right? So they're really got a 24 Jack Bauer power hour vibe going on here, right? With the torture. And like, I'm a huge fan of 24 and I love the Jack Bauer power hour, but, uh, it's interesting to see Archer go this far, but it's hard to see Archer go this far because Archer's such a good guy. You know, he's such a nice guy and a nice captain, and he's so friendly. So it it's hard to watch him be this way. And just Scott Bakula himself, like he's he seems like a really nice guy. He's he's like a pro's pro. And it did, it was really out of character. It seemed like even for the actor, the actual actor, not just, not just Archer, but for Bakula, I never saw, I've never seen Bakula play anyone like that. Not someone right. that's going to go airlock somebody. You know, I thought I was watching BSG for a second there, you know? Yeah. Not even like in the worst of worst situations in his quantum leap days, would he do something like that? But, but I was really rooting for him to do it. <laughs> Like honestly, I, I I was when he was threatening and the guy was like, uh, you, "You're you're too moral." I was like, "No, no, show him you're not. <laughs> Come on, you got that command center down there. Do something." Right. Yeah, and, and Reed thought he was going to do it, you know. And when he he said uh, he's going to die in there, and he's like, "Not for another forty seconds, or not for another fourteen seconds, or whatever." He said that line is so cheesy. I don't know, like it's, oh, that's so bad. Not for another 40 seconds. I don't know, like that's a really bad line. Well, he still had a little air left, apparently, yeah. Yeah, I don't, it's like, it made it, uh, you know what it, it reminds me of? Okay, so, this is off topic here, but when I was a teenager, right, one of my first DVDs that I bought was the, was Stand By Me. You guys know Stand By Me? Right. Anyways, we we had these. I was in university, and we had these Korean foreign exchange students that I was friends with. Right. So we we had a dinner and a movie night at my place, and we watched Stand by Me. And the reason why I watched Stand by Me is because it had like five hundred subtitles on it, and it had it in Korean. And in the episode when Corey Feldman is like beaking off that guy in the uh, in the dump yard, right. He's like, I don't know, he says something I can't remember. He's like, oh, yeah, you're like 500 pounds, lard ass, right? He, like, calls out at him, right? And the Korean translation was, like, 282 kilograms, right? Like, so here we are. So with the subtitles on, with our friends who watch this movie, all of the English people start howling because it was, like, a literal translation of 500 pounds. And the, the kid just threw out the number 500 pounds as an insult, but when they translated it to Korean, they translated 500 pounds to, like, whatever it exactly was in kilograms, right? Because that's what they use. So, like, so I, I don't know. It makes me think of that when I hear this, when he's like, not for 40 seconds. I don't know. It's like... So then convert that to uh, Canadian time, right? Convert that to Canadian time. Convert, yeah, like, <laughs> oh, no, wait. I don't know. No, it's just I'm not talking way, about... way off topic there. I'm but... not, I'm not th- thinking of time. I was thinking of temperature. My bad. Because it was, like, negative something celsius and i was trying to figure out what it was fahrenheit for me you know here so oh sorry i'm sorry i was converting the wrong thing zero celsius is 32 fahrenheit actually what what day was that we were talking and there's like a there's like a whole equation to get back to whatever it is after that double it and add 30 that's an equation okay so if you go the other way take away 30 and then half it i mean since we're already off a topic here anyway we were talking one day brandon it was like negative 20 something 
there where you yeah, were? Yeah, it, it was minus 27 Fahrenheit. And it was like 72 where I was at the exact same moment. Yeah, I was like... <laughs> That's not fair. I was like, you're cold. And I don't even know how cold that is. Like, that's just cold. Okay. Yeah, well, wait. So how does that... You add 30... So, so you get so zero, zero Celsius, right? You double it is still zero, and you add thirty is thirty-two. So it's an approximate, right? Okay. So so you double the Celsius and add thirty to get Fahrenheit. So forty Celsius would be like hundred and ten Fahrenheit, approximately. Yeah, right? What would negative? Tw- how do you do it when you go? Ne- you can same. It actually works the same way. So they match at negative forty Fahrenheit. Negative forty Fahrenheit and negative forty Celsius are identical. So if you think about it, you double it, negative eighty, and then you add thirty to negative fifty. Right? It's it's approximate. Right? It it gets you know the farther away negative. you get. You know, but. So, wait. So negative twenty seven would be what here? So negative twenty seven Fahrenheit. No, you were negative. Oh, you were negative twenty-seven Fahrenheit. No, no. Celsius. So negative twenty-seven right. Celsius would be about negative, about negative twenty-five Fahrenheit. I think. Oh, that's brutal. Yeah, it was pretty bad. So, so this this uh, educational moment is brought to you by Trek FM and the, the Warp Five. No. Uh, yeah, if you you know you didn't realize you what you listen to one of our podcasts, you're going to get taught something here. So that's some science for you right there, right upside your head. Very good. So you'd think that we're stalling before we get to this next episode. I mean, that's almost... No, actually, I want to talk about one more thing in Anomaly first. <sighs> so, one thing that I really liked about Anomaly that I thought was better than the Zindi was the uh, was the anomalies themselves. And I liked that we saw them because in The Expanse, they talk about these things. It's like, oh, the laws of physics don't apply, right? Like this weird mumbo-jumbo that, uh, that Saval's like telling them. They're like, oh, gravity doesn't work and things like this. And... And when you see it for the first time in the Zindi, it's just these crates getting thrown around, right? And it doesn't look very good. It's silly. But here, to see that it's like warping the metal and stuff, I thought was really cool. So I, I think that was a really good addition for this episode. And uh, yeah, I like that. I agree. There, there was it, the, sh- the other thing about this episode, too, is like it was the first time it introduced us to hidden things being right in front of you in space if i'm not mistaken oh the, the sphere we haven't mentioned Correct. the sphere in this episode like <laughs> you know like that doesn't play any import later on or anything like that right, right. so what so, so and, patrick what did you think about the sphere like when you saw it so i, I thought it was cool because first off he's like you know when he first said oh these trails are what was it nine hours long and that one's only an hour i was like well how does that work oh right cochran equation doesn't work so that's how they explain it and then they found this sphere and i was like holy jeez man what is that and it just got weirder from there. And you didn't really know what the outcome was going to be later on. But it was, it, you got a big payoff later on in the series. Oh, definitely. That's no moon. That's no moon. You know, to well, you it. know why the times were different, right? Wait. Yeah, well, because they went in, stayed a while, and then left. Yeah. Yeah, right, but when he first says it, I'm like, wait, one hour, nine hours, one, nine, one. Yeah. That math doesn't work anywhere. And then when they end up in, you're like, oh, they've been hiding. Yeah, the thing's only 19 kilometers in diameter. So it's interesting that they add this. Like, they don't mention it. They don't talk about these sphere builders here, right? And even, when, like, right later on in Harbinger, like, they're not really connected, right? But, uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting addition. And it's I don't know if I like how they resolve it later on, but, I mean, we'll talk about that in a few episodes. Yep. I I was I, I thought that was cool because it, it led to the mystery of this place. And like you said, the... 
the anomaly what's causing this is it ghosts is it gremlins is it what's going on here uh you were talking about the anomaly earlier with the shot that they they kind of dra- they pull the camera right down the hallway and we like ride a wave and it shows people walking down along coming in from the corridors on the sides and it's like bumping them away or knocking them away and stuff that was a pretty cool shot i thought and and then you actually see this giant sphere and it's all made out of a single alloy they said and well it's not giant though it's only 19 kilometers in diameter true it's not very big so it's like it's smaller than a board cube i guess i don't know do i guess wouldn't it be about the size of a borg sphere that's what i was wondering maybe so that's something for the babel conference you know because again math what's 19 kilometers in miles uh five five miles no five yeah five miles is eight kilometers it's so eight, eight kilometers. So if eight, sixteen, ten, twelve miles. Yeah, so it's smaller than Manhattan. Right. Twelve miles, I'd say. So it, it's it is probably I don't remember what on the TNG, like listeners can help us out in the Babel conference on like what the size of a Borg sphere is, if they ever mention how far across a Borg sphere is, but that's huh. Okay, on an unrelated note, why do you guys use Fahrenheit? Like Celsius makes sense to me because zero Celsius is when water freezes. That makes sense. Water is something that's like everybody drinks and stuff. Thirty-two is when water freezes. Right. Why do we Anyways. use the? Why don't we use the metric system? I don't know. Yeah, that's just it's it's the sell more well, stuff. Dennis Leary said it's because we have the bombs. Yeah, yeah it yeah. works. So getting to this next episode that we're almost stalling to get to is extinction. Next. Okay. That's how he feels. Okay, so Patrick, give us some redeeming qualities of extinction. Okay. Yeah, so you're going to find out that I'm just like a huge fanboy because I just like all the episodes even when they're bad. Um, And that goes for pretty much every Star Trek ever. Me too, Um, but not this episode. Good movies that are bad and whatever. It, it, It is what it is, but I actually like this because it was kind of a break from the whole... Again, I lived in New York, so even when this season was airing, we were still t- constantly talking about New York, uh, about 9-11, being reminded of 9-11. And this was just an episode where, hey, you know what? They're going to go somewhere, and they're going to become something else. They're going to run around, and then, they're gonna, and then at the end, they're going to reset the whole thing, and we're not going to worry about it, sort of. Because he still was sick from it after that, but only for one episode. Right. And then we did have continuity. You know? That is true. Because that's how the next episode started, is he was scratching too much. So that was continuity that you usually right. don't get. You know, you didn't get that with Voyager. You really, you never got that with uh, the next generation that one episode actually affected another. And that was in a slight way. But yeah, the extinction, I was, I was kind of confused the first time I watched it. I'm trying to, like, I'm watching it. I'm trying to figure out how it would happen instead of just watching it, you know, and it was, it was something, it was something. So Brandon, it was something. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they added kind of a, cheesy reset button because they needed to Paul to be down there and not sick so well her body fights that stuff because natural immunities to alien DNA they will find met. out a lot later that she had an inner eyelid that she never had to use or we just never found out about that, yeah. right and then there's all all <laughs> kinds of stuff you know later that we can we find out that she's immune to right so yeah I watching this episode I oh man oh I don't know. I, uh, it, it's, I, 
just watching Bakula, like Bakula's working hard on this and watching their, like the actors really work hard on this episode. They have these little gestures that they do and they turn their heads sideways and these little jerky motions and things. I mean, they work their butts off for, to make this thing happen. <laughs> Listeners, you can't see us, but Brandon's doing an impression of the uh, the aliens that they it's turn not half yeah, bad. They actually look pretty good, but um, yeah, I just it's it it was cool. I don't know how they got the the city and the underneath like are there holes in the ground? Is that how the sun is getting through or the? Yeah, that didn't really make any sense. The, the CGI for like all the beings walking around was pretty cool looking for the time. I mean, now you watch it, yeah. you're like, ugh. Yeah. I that was good. <laughs> but like at the time, you're like, well, it's better than anything on my PlayStation. True. And uh, yeah. But but yeah, there was no reason for light. Like they had giant sun sunroofs, but nobody noticed it from when yeah. they were landing. And they had plants and stuff, which I mean, we could go ahead and start talking about how they're aliens. They don't need, they don't, you know, it's an alien plant, so it doesn't need sunlight. It doesn't have to do like, or you know photosynthesis or something like that right but, yeah, yeah I mean, where is the light yeah. coming from i don't know i don't know it was over like there. i said for me it was over just there. kind of a good takeaway from the terrorist deal and you were like eh, i'll yeah, take it that's true it, it, it was definitely a, a break from the typical storyline that we had if we had a episode if this was a 15 season episode or arc you know just for a season that wouldn't have happened like that episode wouldn't have happened you wouldn't have the one-offs that we have going on here so that is a pro for having the longer seasons you know or it could be a con depending on how you want to look at it so brandon did you have anything that you wanted to say about extinction um i would rather watch extinction than judgment (laughs) um i didn't mind it as much this time around you know like i um are Scott Bakula did a pretty darn good job, right? You know, so like I, I, this time that I watched it, I just started with Extinction, right? We I haven't watched the season two episodes in a while, so I just kind of jumped in with uh, with no, sorry, not Extinction with the uh, with the Zindi. So I watched these over a period of a couple nights here, and and uh, it, he did a pretty good job as as this alien here. It's it's a weak episode, and it's weird to have this so early as well. Like, what did they not know what they were going to do? Like, it doesn't have any ramifications later on. Like, why is this now? Like, fine, maybe they're stalling in the middle of the of the season. They're like, we're at 16 episodes. We don't know what to do. Let's throw this weird fraggle rock thing in here, right? And, uh, but at episode three? Right. What, what year would that, would season three have been? So... One, two, two, three, three. This would have been like September of 2003. Right. Yeah. They, no. Okay. I have no idea. Yeah. Because like there was a strike somewhere in those years, but I think that was five. So. Writer's strike? Yeah. Wasn't there in one of those? It was after. It was around 2008 because it was when was Terminator, the Sarah Chronicle. Uh, oh, yeah. Sarah yes. Chronicle started. Yeah. Okay. So n- there goes that theory. I think yeah. they were just buying time. That's why Fraggle Rock showed up. What? Shades of extinction. But they didn't just buy time on this. I mean, they spent money on... They had to put those actors through that makeup. You know, the hours of that makeup. That's not all they put them through. Oh, my gosh. You know? But... (laughs) The massive CGI. I mean, seriously. Bakula and... I mean, they all... They did a great job. I mean, if they were... Fraggle Rock Archer, you know, if they were trying to... Like you said, if they were trying to get, get another gig going... I, they've sold me. 
Yeah, but like even that episode, like that that other race shows up and they're like, "Oh, we got to kill everybody because, you know, that's contagious and we're not cool with that." Like there was no point to him showing. You thought maybe later they'll run into him again or he'll join a fight or they'll be worth something. Actually, Nothing. That guy was Curtis on Twenty Four. Yes, uh, are you talking about the representative? <laughs> I love I love Twenty Four. Are too. you talking about the representative for the other race? Yeah, the the, the, the guy that had really, the armor on, they came on their ship and stuff. Yeah, that guy, he's actually yeah, the, in uh, Dark Matter also. If you if you've ever watched oh, Dark he? Matter, I gotta check and, that show. Oh out. man, it's it's some good stuff. But I pa- Patrick and I are gonna start a twenty four podcast. After <laughs> I, I oh, that's see. gonna be awesome! I love twenty four, <laughs> even the last one that stunk. <laughs> this War Five has got a, a definite twenty four connection. So when we talked to Manny Cotto, you know, we we of course we had to talk to him about twenty four. But yeah, this Fraggle Rock—that's a great. I hadn't even thought about that. That's no. Now I will never see them not as right. Fraggle. Rock. Oh, it's totally. Look at them. They look like the Fraggles. They now, do. when I was a kid, McDonald's gave away the Fraggle Rock toys, and I can see Archer in a yes. car now. Oh, I'm gonna edit in the Fraggle Rock theme song to this. Good. We've got show titles, all kinds of show titles. Yes, in music. Down in Fraggle Rock. Yes. <laughs> all right. So let's go ahead. Let's move on to our last episode we're going to talk about here is Regime. So um, I I like this episode. I like the alien port and the market. And again, like the Wild West and the frontier. And we're getting to see more aliens and I, I really liked it. So, Patrick, what did you think about Regine? Um, I like the interaction in the show. I, I like the way they, they introduced the, the girl who turns into the spy and how they kind of oh, trick Archer spoilers. into taking her. One of the main reasons I like it is because it makes him, as, as, as much as throwaway season episode three, but they're making him harder and harder and, and more malice. Over time, like with the airlock and all that, this kind of shows you still the softer side that he still cares. Um, about the only thing I didn't like, um, I like that. I like I like when they came to go get her back. I actually really liked the uh, Zindi ships in that scene where they're attacking the uh, NX-01. Um, the only thing I didn't like was the guy who was selling the girls looked like Piccolo from Dragon Ball Z. Like like as if they just copied him and shoved him in. And I don't, that know, was cool. I don't know Dragon Ball Z, but I liked his makeup. And he looked he looked believable yeah, as an Piccolo. alien. Yeah, but he he looked like a character from Dragon Ball Z. Unfortunately, crossover. Um, since you don't get the reference, it doesn't matter to you. But uh, but other than that, I mean, the, the acting was good. Everything was was well done. Uh, even the guy trying to sell them animals, and then even again, you see Archer get annoyed with him and snap at him. But you still see the softer Archer a few minutes later as she's running away. Um, and he clearly scouted Archer to know how to get to him how to get her onto that ship and to get information. And to that point, I anyway was not thinking of a biological weapon. You know, I was thinking they were just building another death ray to blow up the earth. Um, and meanwhile, they're, they're fighting amongst the council as to how to go about ending the humans. And if they should attack now, attack later, wait, some races want to, want to wait. Some races are telling them, I'm not waiting no matter what, if you don't do something soon. Um, and this is also the episode where, they have the accident, right? So they lose all the like four or five months worth of research, and you, this is when you can start to see that the um, the aquatic beings are the ones that are kind of controlling the council, 
and holding it together, but even they're starting to get tired of waiting. Right. And they're the ones that are very slow and very methodical. Yeah. And and they're they're not liking how things are going. So yeah, when you're you're talking about the introduction of the girl, um, did you, did you all notice how they 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 put her in slow mo as she was running toward him through the market? That was yes. Yeah, that was kind of I don't know. It's kind of cheesy. They didn't have to do that, but um, I liked again. I liked the market. I liked uh, just the interactions they had. Like the the uh, he ended up being a spice trader you know, the stuff that wars have been fought over and the, the way the guy gets the, the scent through his nose is actually up by his eyes. You know, that was, that was pretty good. But you know, what's funny when I saw this the first time is it reminded me of the two days, two nights episode where, uh, Archer's getting hit on basically by the, the, the cute blonde, you know, and then here it happens again and he doesn't even question it. <laughs> You know, so that kind of made me think that maybe Archer thinks a little bit too highly of himself and he definitely likes blondes. So we've already got that, you know, we've got him pegged for that. So, um, when, uh, they get her back to the ship and she, uh, they just turn her loose on the ship. So Patrick, what did you think about like the access that she had available on the ship? Well, I, I felt that she was able to get that because of her ability to control them. Like that was like her thing. Like they, like, um, you know, she, they, they were just very trusting because she was able to kind of, I can't think of a better word for it, but imprint that, that onto them. And the reason why she had to attack to Paul, cause again, she has the magic resistance to everything. So she didn't fall for what everyone else was right. falling for. You know what that reminds me of Brandon? That reminds me of Orion slave girls. Yeah, like, I think so too. She could have been basically an Orion, and that would have been like an interesting uh, uh, connection to the original series. But uh, I don't know. Like, see, I'm not. A, I'm not a huge fan of this episode because I think that it's. If you if you look at the plot line, it kind of falls through. Like, you know, what if Archer didn't walk towards that guy where he was selling the ladies? Like, it w- the plan would have fallen through completely, you know. But I mean, there's some cool ideas in here. Like right at the beginning, when they're saying, "Look, if this the the, the aquatics are saying, look, if this doesn't speed up, we're gonna have to consider all options." And you know, by the end of this episode, when we get the information that she's trying to get this biological information, like this plagues ramifications later. Like this is the time travel plot that the reptilians want to do later on right when they go back to carpenter street right so this is the beginnings of carpenter street which i think is very cool um you know and you only really catch that on hindsight i don't even know if you would have caught that on an initial watch because you know how much time would have been between episodes but um you know my favorite thing in this episode and it honestly is I, I forgot about this in our in our favorite little things episode on favorite moments but this traitor the the traitor uh that they go and they give the spices yeah. to is one of the greatest characters side characters in Star Trek history like this guy is awesome <laughs> the way he laughs the way he acts the way he sneezes like this guy's awesome I love this guy I, I don't I didn't write down the actor's name or anything I think he is a fantastic little character to throw in an episode and it's, I think it's a joy to watch. I think that's he was great. very believable. Um, he was very believable. Yeah, absolutely. He did a very good job. Um, one of the things that I found was really interesting about it. So like, I, I don't like on, okay. I'm not trying to be funny here. I know and I'm normally trying to be funny, right? But I'm not, I'm trying to be serious on this one, this part here. I want to make, make that clear. I, you know, I've talked in the past how, 
you know, um, the the way that Regine can use her sexuality towards women and men, like Hoshi is like immediately like I get the impression that Hoshi's like immediately attracted to her as well when she meets her in the hallway. And then that whole scene that she has with Paul as well, like I think it's interesting, right? So, and again, I'm trying to be serious on this. I think this is a really interesting take on this, right? So, yeah, okay, good. Yeah, I mean, whatever she had turned on or whatever that was, I mean, it made her irresistible to everyone and except for T'Pol. And then even T'Pol wasn't completely immune to it. You know, it seemed like T'Pol was really having to really fight it. And she mentions that T'Pol has a very uh, disciplined mind, you know, and just let go and just drop your guard or something. So, yeah, I mean, they didn't explain why, like it's the pheromones with the Orion slave girls, but there's something about her that is, I don't know, it's almost intoxicating. You know, it's almost like hypnotizing whatever she's got going on. She uses Axe. Yeah. Axe body spray. Well, see, for me in my head canon, it was always like a mind thing for her because they show that first scene when she steps around from the corner when he first sees her and it kind of gives you the aura of her like like telepathy almost like you you have to like me that's it like again crossing streams with another uh um sci-fi but it's kind of like using the force right you know you you do like me or or even like what she did to archer when she was doing the scanning thing on him and he had his eyes closed and then all of a sudden boom she's across the room yeah so i want to ask about that because so it's neat. So she's get obviously she's getting DNA samples and scans with her hands, obviously, right? But when she stops with Archer, she's not touching him. So it's like, what happened in that meantime? Because when she goes to walk, when she goes to do the same thing with T'Pol, I almost ex- and and then uh, Reed or not Reed, sorry, uh, Trip breaks into the room. And sees her on the floor. I expect her, and every time I watch it, I expect her to not actually be in there. But she is in there. And then again, with the poor plot lines of this episode, she smashes a vase on his head and, like, you know, runs away. Like, where's she going to go? Like, right? But I expect her to not actually be in that room, but she is every time. So it's like, well, so is she really touching them, or is this all in the mind? Oh, that's a good thought. See, I always thought of it as it was, she was actually touching them, but. They go into like almost a trance, and by the time they come out, she's already okay. moved. So it like puts them away. in a not like a coma, but like a yeah, something kind of, like that. yeah, yeah. You know some, what I'm trying to say yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. What are you that trying sci-fi to say? trope, but uh, yeah, because <laughs> the thing they do, right? That, that happens all the time. <laughs> but that way, they don't really know that right. she was scanning them. Otherwise, they might catch on at some point. But they're kind of like out of it, and ah, uh, yay, this is great. Wait, she's over there. You know, like. It just, that always just to me. That's always just how that worked. And then she couldn't break the the, the wall down for T'Pol because her, her she's so um, you know her mind right. is she's so, so disciplined. Uh, yeah, I I agree. I actually didn't expect her to be in the room. I expected when Trip opened the door, it was going to be T'Pol there. And then, however, she got in the room. You know, I guess she snuck in earlier. You know, when T'Pol wasn't looking. But however, she got in the room, she got out. You know, and that I didn't expect her to still be in the room. You know, ever uh, yeah. So it's it it doesn't fit for what you're expecting going on. But then again, the vase on the head. Come on, right? It's what you know. It would have been cooler if she'd have just done something with her hand, like if she'd have done like a brain scan or something and knocked him out, you know, or something. Yeah, like 
as much as I hate the episode, that one distant voices from D Space Nine, where that guy like electrocutes Bashir, mm-hmm. right? Like you know, like I don't know, something like, like that even, where she could have done something to trip to, like shocked his head or something as she she ran out behind him or something, and then boom, he's on the ground. Yeah, the vase. Well, yeah, well, I I kind of expect her to grab his head and put him back in a yeah. trance, like like everyone else it works for. But like you said, it's just a vase and run away because you can get off a starship. So then and... she gets caught. They put her in the brig and we get, like you said, we get to see the cool Zindi ships, the Italian ships come on. And then they come in like a bunch of bosses, like they're straight commando. They're coming in there. Uh, what did you think about the assault of the reptilians? Uh, Patrick, you know, like I said in, earlier that I love the ships. I love the way they, they had them, kind of swooping back and forth as they, they went to their attack pattern or whatever you want to call it. But once they get on board, they have some of the coolest weapons. They shoot a blob at the back yeah, wall and it awesome. comes flying off and kills everybody. It's it's like, wow, I missed. Yay, they Oh, man, I'm gone. And, you know, um, and they can take a pretty large hit before they go down themselves. And then the whole, at the end, when they, they have like a, a, a suicide sack that's added in later... I just found that kind of crazy in general, but they can't be taken alive or whatever. You know, these guys are mean business. They come in, they're mean in business and they've got, yeah, like you said, like the, the suicide gland or whatever it is that, you know, they're, they're going to die in battle, you know, like death is victory kind of a thing like the Jim Adar. Um, yeah. The, the shooting on the back wall, that was awesome with the, the weapon hitting them from behind. Um, yeah, I, I thought that was pretty cool. What did you What did you think about the the reptilians and their battle hardiness there, Brandon? I thought it was fine. It worked. Out, yeah, like I got nothing else to add. I mean, yeah, the weapons were really cool. That blob that exploded and shot those needle like things out was pretty. Okay, cool. I'm going to tell you all something. This is very not Star Trek. This is very not Starfleet. But we're here to do what we got to do. This is our enemy. Uh, he. Archer already told Trip, we're going to do whatever it takes. Okay. So Archer already knows that she has this info on us. And didn't she already tell him that it was a bioweapon, that they were working on a bioweapon before they took her? I think that was the last thing that she told him. There's a, what there's a bioweapon. And then he's like, okay, we'll keep her in here. Nobody gets in this door. And then he takes off. Okay. So this is very not Star Trek, very not Starfleet. She's not getting off that ship. Okay. She's not getting off that ship with that info. In fact, she might be the first one that goes, <laughs> you know, if we wanted to go really not Star Trek here and we're going to go more like Battlestar Galactica style and she's the one that's got this info and that's, they're the, they're here for her. That would have been so dark and that would have been such a twist and it would have been very 24 maybe, you know, but that's that was something you're saying killer yeah <laughs> say it i'm saying I'm, yeah yeah, yeah he, basically <laughs> give the order <laughs> captain but yeah the, i mean really they should have gassed the the brig or or he had two opportunities to do it too that's the other thing he had that opportunity then he goes to shoot at one of them right they turn her around when the he corner could. and he hesitates and that's the moment where you're like, Take if you're going to go all in, you know, this I, is I don't the know all if in he moment. was afraid of them. Like, if he did it, like, I've, I've just, I've been thinking of like, if this was your strategy and you took her out, and I mean, she's the package, she's the reason that they're there, and you take her out, 
Are they just going to go crazy and just wipe the whole ship out? You know, is that what he's afraid of? Is he seeing that there's just such an overwhelming? I don't know, man. I'm like, I'm imagining, I don't know what show I've seen this on, or I've seen it on a bunch of shows, but you got Archer with his, his arm around her neck and the phase pistol to her head as they're kicking in the door, you know, basically holding her hostage. She's the package. She's the reason that they're there. Right. But I mean, what's the, what's the downside to doing it? Because even if you said, oh, these they're going to kill the whole ship. Okay, but maybe they don't. But I know if she goes back, the whole world's in trouble. I'm sorry, listeners, that we're not thinking very Starfleet on this, but that's the thought that I had. I mean, you've got to think of all your options, and one of the options is that she doesn't get off that ship alive. Well, it's funny we go to this because that also ties back to the whole, you know, the, them talking about 9-11 thing again because you had such divides on what people what people felt our military should do what we felt their military was doing, that whole suicide sack that's very Cold War-ish, you know, folklore in, in the United States now where we talk about all secret agents have suicide pills, and that's exactly what that was. And and at the time, that's what we believed everyone that was a, a terrorist hiding out here was doing or something along those lines. And meanwhile, that's also what people were calling for our military to go go get targets, don't let them go. And we're supposed to be the Starfleet here, you know, like... That's kind of how I saw them drawing that line in this story, and um, and but he made the right moral choice at the end, I guess, from a one-on-one standpoint. But in terms of like right. an actual war, that was yeah. a terrible, terrible decision. And she was working for them. It wasn't like they came and captured some regular. Per- she was working for them, and she tries to explain it away with, "Well, you know, just because I'm here to get you all killed doesn't make what you did any less admirable." No, I just made it stupid. So, Brandon, uh, what, what, uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? You know, like, what if we would have went really dark on this? I don't know. See, like, when I was young and I originally watched this going through, I think I've mentioned this before here on Warp Five. Is you know, like the nine eleven thing missed me. Like, I'm from Canada, right? And nine eleven affected us in Canada, but it didn't affect us like it affected the states, right? I mean, for us. The airports were shut down. It was freaky. We saw a building collapse, and now now I have to take my shoes off when I go through the airport security, right? So, but it's it doesn't mean the same thing to me as a Canadian as it does for you guys, right? So, a lot of these parallels are kind of lost on me. Now, maybe that's just me because I don't I don't participate in the news. I don't read the news a lot. Things like like even now. Right, I don't watch a lot of news articles, but I don't know if that's a general thing for Canadians. If there's any other Canadians out there, like tell me, like would, would, I don't think nine eleven means anywhere near to us what it means to you guys, right? So, um, to me, it's it it's the Starfleet way that he didn't kill her, right? And I understand what you're saying. Well, if he's going to go dark, so but that also leads me to believe that he wouldn't have let that guy die in the decompression chamber in anomaly, right? right? He he because he he's not there yet. Right, I don't think he ever does get there. Like he gets close in damage, right? Which we'll talk about later on. Which is the mirror, uh, the mirror darkly version of anomaly for Archer, right? But I don't think he ever gets quite that far. He gets almost there, but he doesn't get all the way, right? And I don't think he ever. Well, I was would. imagining Archer being the one doing it, but since we're talking about that, let's say Archer is representing the virtues of the Starfleet and what the Federation is going to end up being, and he doesn't. Let's say that we've got this thing, this path that we've got Archer on, and he's going to end up being this golden boy of the Federation. So what if it was a non, 
you know, just a crewman or an ensign or somebody, you know, I mean, well, it, it, it couldn't be, it wouldn't work for the plot. Oh, no, 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 I no, mean, no. I, I, mean saying, I'm just, but... I was just saying, just looking at this from a tactic standpoint, she shouldn't have got off the ship chef. Oh yeah. And we just, we just, all we see is his feet and his hands <laughs> and the butcher knife, you know, and it, it becomes a whole other, a different story. It's a, it, and the Jonathan Frakes. Right, it's like a episode of Dexter now, you know, it's not really work. It's not really enterprise. It all goes back to Manny exactly. Cotto. He's, he's everywhere. There you go. Very good. So, Patrick, what what did you think about the start of season three? You said this was your favorite season. So, uh, what what are your thoughts about the start of season three here? You know, we had the one throwaway episode, which again I kind of enjoyed because it was a throwaway episode. I didn't have to think too much. Um, like Brandon was saying, um, how nine eleven didn't affect him as much. I think I see more nine eleven in these episodes than even the average American does because I, I physically watched the towers disappear from the high, from the uh, horizon. So. For a long time, I just saw 9-11 and everything. I even have a 9-11 tattoo. So, um, so maybe I read a little too much into them. But because of that, and because what one of the things I like so much about Star Trek is is it's it's unwavering. It has no fear in pointing out social issues or fo- social changes or social commentary on pretty much anything. And they did the same thing here about something that was tragic and and current. You know, when I was watching all the other series, they weren't current to me. I was watching them years later. I was too young to understand. So this one was something that happened that was very alive in my memory. And they were they were beating it, like, pretty heavily the first three episodes. Um, and, I, and I liked it. I enjoyed it a lot. I, I thought we were going in the right direction. And, um, you know, I, I couldn't wait for more. And, and, like, unlike you, you got to binge watch, which was a phenomenal way to watch that that season you know i was on the edge of my seat every week sitting there with my uh at the time 76 year old grandmother what did your the grandma think of the uh, vulcan neural pressure <laughs> you know how hard those scenes are to watch with a 76 year old grandmother <laughs> i put them on now and i still cringe and she, we don't even live in the same house anymore <laughs> i oh, i'm gonna go man. get a drink now grandma that's great <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. She wanted them to get together. I'll tell you that. Great. So, Brandon, what, did, what do you think about the beginning of season three here? How, how are we getting started? Uh, we're off to kind of a slow start, I think. So we're 50-50 here. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Regine. I'm not a huge fan of uh, Extinction. But, uh, you know, I, even Anomaly, it's, 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 it's okay for me. But uh, Zindi was a great start, mainly because of Stephen Mahatty. Ponty Pool. Google Pontypool trailer and watch it. Well, for for me, I, season three has grown on me a lot. Like the first time I saw it, it was I was expecting Star Trek and I got something else. But now I very much appreciate it for what it is. And like um, Patrick mentioned, you know, nine eleven affected me. It affected me a lot more. I didn't realize until ten years later how much it affected me at the time. And. You know, and I was living in Dallas. I wasn't even just living in New York. I was living in Dallas and seeing this stuff on TV. And I was seeing how it was affecting other people around me that was just watching it on TV. And it it was it was difficult to watch the first time. And that was years after the events actually happened. And I, I you know, I don't know. I was watching it. And I was expecting Star Trek and I got this. And then I was, oh, I don't know. I appreciate it so much more now. You know, I've got the first two seasons, which is the the getting out there away from earth. And this is what we could do if we were on our path to being, you know, Starfleet 
you know, like us actually here in the 21st century. Then we've got season three arc, which is its own thing. It's its own standalone movie. You know, it's just, it's, it's a binge watching jewel to me. You just watch them right after the other, right after the other. And it just, it flows so well, I think. Um, you do have the occasional, uh, the pit stops that you have to take. But like you start off with a Zindi that's really good. You get into Anomaly. I like that. I like how it's setting the tone for us. Um, then uh, we'd have the pit stop with the Extinction, kind of take a, a rest for a second and do something else. Then uh, back to Regine. We're right back into the uh, conspiracy of this. And I... You know, Regine is, it's not as good as Zindi to me, but it's its still going down the path. You know, it was setting up uh, the council and the, the conflict and the drama that the council didn't really agree with everything. Season three, you know, its it, uh, it, bl- it blends into season four and it sets up the prequel that everyone is expecting. And that's what we were talking about Manny Cotto about. And I don't know, I like, I like season three. I like how it started right now. Um, but yeah, it's... It's just different. It's just different. And different doesn't necessarily mean bad. You know, a lot of people see different and they think, oh, well, it's different. It's just not Star Trek. So I just don't like it. It's just, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad thing. But uh, Talking Season 3 is not the only thing that we've been doing on Trek FM this week. So here's what else you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Down at Fraggle Rock. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. My casting choices, okay, would be for Ruck. You got to go with Dave Bautista, right? Uh, he's uh, Drax in Guardians of the Galaxy. He played Jinx in uh, yeah, Inspector. Yeah, not Jinx. What's his name? Hinks, Mister Hinks. Ooh, Mr. Hinks. Yeah, Mister Hinks. That's the wrong James Bond film, everybody. <laughs> the Six O Two Club. Going back to the Gotham thing really quickly, I know this is semi-derailing. Um, why would you want to move to Gotham? I mean, he has to have been there. It's like the picture that he has on his wall is this beautiful, shining, like, daytime view, if I'm not mistaken, of Gotham, which I don't think we ever see. Um, it was like, I'm not really sure Charm City looks quite nice. <laughs> like, so. Saturday Morning Trek. It's very much like a continuation of the original series. You know what? You raise a very good point, and it's one we probably should have talked about earlier, is that we talk so much about the animation and the limitations of the medium that we forget about the writing. And overall, it's pretty strong throughout the run. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows and find out what we're talking about on your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can find us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, anywhere you can get your MP3s or podcasts. You can go to our website to get the RSS link, and you can download the MP3 file directly from there. And if you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. That makes it easier for all listeners to find us. And while you're there, leave us a rating and review. So we actually have a couple of uh, five-star reviews that came in there at the end. I'm going to read one this time. We'll say we'll save one for the next time. Um, five stars for Silver Flight Mask. Uh, amazing podcast. It says, my friend introduced me to this podcast and I immediately fell in love. Enterprise is my favorite Trek series. And when I found out there were people who love the show as much as I do. The intellectual discussion that the hosts have is something that really provokes thoughts that I never had before. I love this podcast as much as Trip loves pecan pie or Malcolm loves pineapple. I can't wait for the next episode. So, wow, that's a lot of love, Silver Flight Mask. We surely appreciate it. Thank you so much. 
Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. So if you visit patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Trek FM, you can find out how you can help us. Um, so we actually have a, at the $5 level, I mean, $1 will help, but if you, at the $5 level, you actually can be entered into the patron zone. So Brandon's actually the patron zone manager right now, and he's been helping us get a lot of new content in there and early access. And Brandon, why don't you tell everybody like what, what you're thinking about on the patron zone or what your plans are? Well, not not only is the patron zone good, but outside of the patron zone, you should check out the highway to the patron zone. It's awesome. <laughs> nice. Yes. After you've driven on the highway to the patron zone, you can join the patron zone and, uh, and uh, yeah, have some fun. You come on in. We've got some early releases. We've got some exclusive content. We've got some cool wallpapers. And you can go back and listen to any of the old roundtable episodes uh, at the $15 a month level. You can join in on the patrons roundtables, which Patrick has recently done, right? Uh, it was yeah, so that was pretty cool. And then at the twenty-five dollar a month level, you can become an associate producer of a show, just like Patrick has become the associate producer of Metatrex. So, Patrick, what's uh, what like? It, what made you decide to to become an associate producer through Patreon for Trek FM? Um, I found uh, Trek FM uh, a while back, and and I started listening. I started listening to Metatrex. Uh, Warp Five uh, to the Journey, mostly the. I, I listen to all four of the the show specific, five show specific shows, and then uh, and Metatrex. And I really like philosophy, so I decided I wanted to be their associate producer. And I started talking to the host Mike and Zach, and they they were really cool guys. So uh, I made sure to jump in with with, uh, with to be their associate producer. So you can find out uh, other details about uh, how you can get involved and how you can help us out at patreon.com slash Trek FM. Also, if you want to wear your Trek FM fandom, you can find great Trek FM themed merchandise at Trek store. So you can get you a t-shirt, get you a coffee mug, get you a cell phone ca- case with your favorite Trek FM show on it. Get you a warp five t-shirt. That would be kind of cool. Uh, I'd like to thank my co-associate producer, Mike Morrison, and also our newest associate producer for Warp 5, Tim Cooper. Thank you so much. They are associate producers through Patreon.com, and that's how they help us out. So thank you so much. Thank Thank you. Mike and Tim. Also, Brandon, thank you so much for uh, editing the show and publishing for us. And Tony Robinson for creating the very cool show art that we have. If you'd like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us at trekfm slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm and leave us a voicemail. That'd be cool to add to the show. You can also contact us through Twitter at trekfm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm, and as we mentioned a few times, the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trekfm and click discussion on the menu bar. So thank you so much, Patrick and Brandon, for coming on discussing some season three. Um, Patrick, if our listeners would like to talk to you about the greatness of season three, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, they can either find me on um, uh, Twitter at Magic Drop Five. It's the number five, uh, all one word. Or uh, I'm always around the Babel Conference, uh, surfing around there and hanging out in that area. Very good. Well, thank you so much, Patrick, for coming aboard. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on. Thank you for the uh, opportunity to be on. No problem. And Brandon, if 
our listeners wanted to maybe discuss with you the ins and outs of the Fraggle Rock possibilities that we've got going here for Archer, uh, how can they reach you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brandon Matella. You can find me on Facebook. Send me a uh, message on there and every once in a while I poke my head up in the Babel Conference you can also find me here on the network with new episodes of Melodic Treks which is all about the music of Star Trek and if you'd like to get in touch with me you can always find me in the Babel Conference the Trek FM listeners page on Facebook alright guys well let's go ahead uh, since they, the uh, five star review mentioned the pecan pie and the pineapple that kind of makes me want to go see what chef still got down there in the cabinet so let's move on down there and see what we can find I got to say, though, I mean, if you're not willing to help me out with that, uh, you know, Vulcan neural pressure there, Floyd Patrick. No, you know, I heard the line by T'Pol has really gotten a lot shorter. Um, Actually, I'm just going to go cut in line. I'm going to go get in that line. You go take it. And I, I, I just want the pecan pie at this point. I mean, <laughs> they're just go. simple. I want to keep this simple, and I don't want to eat food with my hands after doing, you know, it's. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I can't sleep. Like, what am I going to do? I. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'll go find Flux. There you go. All right. So Maybe he can massage me with his claws. Ooh, okay. So while Brandon figures that one out, boomers, uh, thank you so much for listening and join us again next time for another episode of Warp 5. Warp 5.